Hey, let me pray, and then we'll look into God's Word today. God, we, uh, we say this often, and I say this often, that we, we trust you, Jesus, and then we trust the Bible, and we trust the Bible because, Jesus, you trust the Bible, and we trust what it says about you, about the Father, Son, and Spirit. Trust what it says about us, that we're loved, that we're created in glory, um, and that we can be restored to glory through the cross. So we trust you, Jesus. We trust your word. So would you use your word today in our lives to help us see and hear and understand um, how to become the kind of people that are full of the life and power that come from you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. I've had this up there on the screen before. It's kind of a uh, kind of the math equation that sometimes we wish was true uh, as a Christian life. We we kind of believe this to be true, or we want it to be true, and that is this: that if I'm good and I love God, all will be well. In other words, if I if I do the right things, live morally, da da da, and if I love God, all will be well. But the the problem is in that. Years ago, I heard somebody, and I, I always think about this when I think about this little math equation. Somebody was talking about, they were sharing their testimony group of people, and I'm sure they were well-intentioned, but they were basically saying, I always wanted to have, when I was a kid, a red fire truck, a beautiful wife with a dog in the back. I mean, not a red fire truck, red pickup truck. I wanted to be a fireman with a red pickup truck with a beautiful wife and a dog in the back. And he said, that's what I wanted when I was a kid. And then I became a Christian. This is kind of his testimony. Then I became a Christian, and guess what? I got the red pickup truck. I'm a fireman. I have a beautiful wife and a dog in the back. And I know it was well-intentioned. I don't, even, I don't know the guy who was saying all this. But it kind of was from this kind of mentality. Well, if you just do the right thing, and you love God, and you're obedient, and then you'll get your red pickup truck. You'll be a fireman with a beautiful wife and a dog in the back. Why that? Not that. Of course, God wants our desires. He, He often gives us our desires, but He doesn't always. All will not be. All will be well. Is not always the case, and we know that from experience. All right. So I've been doing a series. Today's the last one. We're not going to. I'm not going to go through all the Book of Acts, but uh, today we're going to look at Acts chapter 12. I just call. I just call it. This is who we are with the people of Pentecost, and we've looked at Peter and Stephen and Stephen got stoned to death, and there's Philip, and there's all kinds of stories throughout the first chapters, the first 11 chapters, where God's people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, do incredible things to expand the love of Jesus to people. So today we're going to look at, uh, and that's why Pentecost, as the season in the church here, is supposed to only last a short amount of time, but we've kept the, I've kept the red tablecloth because Pentecost is kind of red, the Holy Spirit. Um, next week, we'll, I'm going to start a new series but this one's interesting. Uh, James and Peter are the main characters. Um, if this was a movie, they'd be the ones we'd kind of hear and see about. So, and again, Pentecost happened. We don't know, maybe a month, maybe a few years before. We don't know exactly, probably months or maybe a few years. And uh, people of God, gospel expanding. Um, there was persecution that broke out. That's why Stephen was stoned to death, partially because... He was follower of Jesus, but he was Greek, and so all kinds of issues, but he was stoned because he followed Jesus. There was starting to be persecution because people followed Jesus. And so I'm going to start in Acts 12. I'm going to start actually with verse 3, 
and, and we'll go from there. So go to that, put the next slide up there and just leave that one up there for a while. Herod, uh, Herod arrested Peter. So things are getting kind of dicey, as some would say. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers, which meant that he had two soldiers, a soldier on either side handcuffed to them with extra guards. Four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover because for him to, to uh, give Peter a trial, and especially if he was going to be executed, you don't do that during Passover. The Jews would have hated it. Uh, but while Peter was in prison... The church prayed very earnestly for him. All right, read that last phrase with me out loud, starting with the church. All right, one, two, three. The church prayed very earnestly for him. Let me just finish the rest of the passage. Leave that slide slide up there. So the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Again, when you think prison in in this day, they were dingy, dungy, dirty, awful. One one other guard stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, I don't know, that always strikes me a little funny. The angel struck him on the side, kind of like wake up. Waken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Supernatural. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell that was locked, of course, following the angel. But all all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. All kinds of supernatural so they, Peter finally came to a sense. Remember, they thought, said he, was having, he thought he was having a vision. Came to a sense. Is this really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Remember, they were praying earnestly for him. He knocked on the door and the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she assisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, and again, I always think this is a little humorous, but meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down. And told them how the Lord had let him out of prison. Tell the other brothers what happened. And then he went to another place. So Peter's rescued. And actually uh, in the book of Second Peter that Peter would have written years later. He writes this. So you see the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. So are they prayers speaking from experience. God's rescued and. Of course we know there's power in prayer. They pray, they're praying earnestly, and earnestly could also, you could also translate that intensely. So they're, they're all praying for Peter. They're praying intensely, and boom, 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 boom. They pray this way. An angel gets sent there to wake him up, break off the chains, open the gates, and he's free. So it's, a, you know, the Bible tells us an earnest prayer of a righteous, righteous person 
can change things. It availeth much. And it talks about Elijah prayed, and because it wasn't raining, he prayed and it rained. So there's always these stories in the Bible which are true when we believe them, that earnest prayer yields results. And in this case, Peter was freed from most likely an imminent execution. So we love those things. That's who we are. We believe prayer matters. We believe when you pray for things, something changes. Somehow God wants us to pray for things. And even in this passage where it talks about earnest and intense prayer, we see prayer, we see a prison cell, and we see a result. So somehow this prayer of these people, said it was a house full of these people, had some effect on the invisible world where an angel sent down and boom, Peter's released and he's free. And that's who we are. We believe prayer does something. But I kind of cheated when I read the passage because I skipped the opening few verses. All right, So Peter's freed, but here's how the chapter starts. All right, Go, to the, go with the next one. This is, the begin, this is like the prequel, what happened before what I just read. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword, beheaded. Then when Herod saw how much this pleased the people, he also arrested Peter. And then what I read is what's next. James is arrested. He's executed. For me at least, and I'm sure for you, it starts stirring some questions. Why James and not Peter? Did they not pray for James? What? And they, they prayed intensely for Peter, and we can assume the church was a praying church, that there was something happening for James, but James died. Remember, James was John's brother. They were the, they were the sons of thunder. They were both disciples. So if I'm John, if I'm James's brother, and John was likely at the prayer meeting where they were praying for Peter... And I see Peter rescued. I think it's legitimate and human for John to say, well, why wasn't my brother released? What, why did that not happen for me? And there's this, there's this question of how do we deal with those kind of situations? It's kind of like, why Peter but not James? Were they not praying hard enough? I mean, you, you sometimes get requests for praying for people, and they say, we want this many people praying and somehow we believe, and there's some effect, I'm sure, that the more people we have praying, the more chances of something desirable happening, deliverance. But we can assume the early church was praying for James. We can, but, but he died. And again, I'm John, and I'm thinking, what's going on? Why, why did my brother... So we can, we can come to a couple conclusions. One, with, with James dying, either... God wasn't powerful enough to do that, or the prayers weren't powerful enough, or two, Jesus didn't care. And, and, and of course, you know, as you're thinking about your, maybe your own life situations, like, why didn't it turn out like I wanted it to, or I wanted it to? It's easy, it's easy to go to, okay, God doesn't have the power to do this, or maybe he doesn't care enough for me. Or, what easier to go to is maybe I'm messing things up and I'm getting what I deserve. I have a friend of mine who's followed Jesus for years. 
He had some health. He has some health issues. And one of his statements was, oh, I must be doing something wrong. I evil more. And then he said, I must not be praying enough. I need to read my Bible more. As if praying enough, reading my Bible more, and doing more would all of a sudden bring him healing. And it's easy to kind of fall into that trap. So either, either God's not powerful, Jesus doesn't care, or I'm messing up. That's usually how how we think if we were like the person, if we were like James and didn't get the reward we thought. But then we think about, okay, so the disciples, when they're in the boat, when there's a big storm and they're, they're scared to death, they yell at Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to drown. So the question they're exclaiming is not unlike maybe the questions we might have. Jesus, don't you care? And again, of course, I'm, you can, we can relate to certain analogies in your life. As far as I know, nobody knows somebody who was killed because they were a Christian. But I'm guessing all of us have situations where we've wanted outcome A, like Peter's, deliverance. But we get outcome B, like James, beheaded. And then we have to ask, okay, what? again, God didn't have the power. God doesn't care about me. Or I really must have messed things up and I got what I deserved. Of course, none of those are true. At least not in this situation. None of those are true. And there's even in the book of Hebrews, it's, there's a passage where they talk, they're talking about the hall of fame of the people who followed Jesus. And this is, what, this is what we read in Hebrews. By faith, there were some people who overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, and they escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. So that, that's like this. The soundtrack of that passage is like victory, and they were victorious. They had, the armies won big battles. Women received people back to life. This is Hebrews 11. And then the very next passage. But others, talking about those who were followers of Jesus, Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. And then it goes on to say, they, this is in Hebrews 11, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with a sword. Some went around wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for the world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So the title of the series is This is Who We Are. So here's Peter in prison. We pray, he's out. That's who we are. But then we also see James in prison, arrested, and he's beheaded. That's who we are. And if you're like me, it's not what we signed up for. At least we don't think. It's kind of like when I, you know, if I I go to a restaurant and I want, I, I don't like mayonnaise at all. Mayonnaise was one of those things I'm absolutely sure didn't happen until after the fall, all right? don't like mayonnaise, so I will always order a sandwich. If it says mayonnaise in the menu, I will say, take that off, please. And it always bothers me when it's still left on there. I send it back. I mean, you maybe, 
Maybe you're the same way with other things. I wish, and I'm sure you do too, I wish when we read the whole story of the Christian life as explained in the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the Bible, or even from your own life story, we wish we could say, I want that, but I want this taken off. No mayonnaise, please. No suffering, please. I want, I want all the good stuff, but please don't give me any of the stuff that I don't want, the bad stuff, the suffering stuff. So it's, 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 it's this question we have, and I'll just, this is the, the, go to the next slide. This is the question of the day that I'm, maybe you'll just have to sit in it for a while, and I'll have to sit in it for a while, but it, why rescue Peter but let James die? Why? Why are some people's cancer cured and others not? Why are some people have what seems to be thriving, successful marriages and families and others don't? Maybe those people who are following Jesus. Why do some who follow Jesus have really good reputations and really do things well in their work world and others, because they follow Jesus, get fired? Why can't God just flip a few switches? Why let bad... It's kind of the old, the big question. Why do, why do bad things happen? Can God not control it? I mean, we have a family friend who that's part of their question is, why is this happening to me? And they're not following Jesus. And they're, kind of one of their issues is, why would I trust God who's letting this happen to me? So it's a legitimate, legitimate question. And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it still can be a legitimate question where something's, you're getting an outcome you don't want, and you're asking, you're wrestling with God, why is this happening to me? And again, it's easy to go to one of three solutions that aren't true. God is not powerful. But we often go to, God doesn't care about me. But then it's easy also to go to, I'm just really messing things up. Those are not true. And then you might say, well, what's the, is there a fourth option? Because if God's powerful and he cares about me, and it's not because, you know, I've sinned, therefore God is punishing me. If, if, if my, if I'm, as far as I know, my, my life is open and blameless before God. If, neither, if God's powerful and Jesus cares about me, and I'm living a life of obedience to God, what's the other explanation for why this is happening, why, why it happened to James? And my first really deeply theological answer to that question is, we don't fully understand. I don't know. We do know that God's ways aren't our ways. We do know that God intensely loves and cares for us. Jesus cares about you. He cares about me intensely. We do know that God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants to. And if you're living a life of obedience, I didn't say perfection, but is it living a life of obedience, there's, there's, you can at least cross off the list, you know, God's punishing me, although, was, you know, whether God punishes for certain, but you can cross it off the list if you're living your life open before God as much as you know. And so if you cross those off, if you know God's powerful and you know Jesus cares for you, and as far as you know your heart is open before God, then you're still left with a big question like, then why? 
and I'll go back to, some of you weren't at the beginning, but the back the opening passage of Scripture where Paul's prayer was we would understand, experience, how wide, how high, and how deep is the love of Jesus, and that we'd be full of the life and power that comes from God. We'd be made complete, the passage says, full of the life and power that comes from God. So somehow, even when those James-like things happen, that's part of God's bigger plan for you to... It sounds kind of ludicrous even when I say it out loud. Suffering is God's plan for us in some situations so we understand the greatness of Christ, God's love for us, and we become more complete with power and the power and love that comes from God and the life that comes from God. It's one of those things that's like what... That's not how I would do things. What does the scripture say too? God's ways are our ways. We can't really comprehend it. And it almost, when I was reviewing this sermon this week, it almost sounds like a cop-out to say, well, you know, God's ways are our ways. Sounds like a cop-out, but if you're James and you just got called to get up and go out the door and you know what's coming next with the sword, you, you don't want a pat answer, and we never should give pat answers. But we do know the scripture says God's ways are our ways. He cares about you deeply, and he's all-powerful. But we also live, this is maybe the, the element we tend to forget about, we live in a world at war. And scripture tells us Satan is always active. And suffering in the world is not because how, that's how God designed the world. It's because we have an enemy who is opposed tremendously to any form of human flourishing. So if you, take, if you don't consider that as part of the piece of the puzzle, that there's a world that's not yet perfected because of the brokenness of sin and because of the activity of Satan, if, if you don't take that into account, then all you're left with maybe is those three options. Okay? God's not good. God's not powerful. He doesn't care about me. Or I'm, not, or I'm messing up. Or I live in a world at war and Satan has designed things so that suffering happens. God, we, Scripture tells us, can redeem the suffering for good. So, it, <clears throat> I was actually thinking about starting my new series for something else today. But then I thought, am I copping out by not wanting to go to this passage? I don't think I was, but I thought, I don't want to... But this is the part of the... I mean, Stephen stoning is hard. He got stoned to death, you know, back in chapter whatever, early in the book. And now James is the first, he's the first of the disciples to die. They all of, and, and John, James's brother, is the one who lived the longest. The rest of them, uh, we know from some in Scripture, we know Paul, he wasn't a disciple, but Paul was uh, be, most likely beheaded in Rome. Peter, we know, was most likely crucified by his desire. He said, don't crucify me like, crucify me like Jesus, crucify me upside down. Some of this is extra biblical, but it's kind of historically validated in a sense. All the other disciples ended up dying because they followed Jesus. James was just the first. John outlived the rest of them. Um, but it still doesn't mean, I mean, it still means, we still know God's powerful, God cares for us, and if, we're, if we're, our lives are blameless for him, suffering still happens, but it's part of, it can be then part of a plan. So we can be full of life and power that comes from God. It can be part of a plan that, we're, that we understand the height and depth and width of Jesus' love for us. It doesn't mean we have to walk into or plan suffering. I mean, in the Middle Ages, there were 
You know, there were people that thought their job was to inflict upon themselves suffering so they could be refined. But that's, that's up to God's oversight on that. So I don't think we ever walk into suffering. We don't plan for suffering. We don't create suffering. And like we don't create persecution. You don't make yourself persecuted. If you're persecuted because you're talking about Jesus, that's one thing. If you're persecuted because you're just being a jerk, that's on you. Right? So, so but we still have, but God's good. Jesus cares about you. And as far as you understand, it's not a punitive act because you're not, you know, you're not sinning before God. But God, I'll finish with this. This was years ago. And they were, they, for some reason, I can't remember what the conference overall theme was. And part of it, they were talking about persecution of Christians. And they showed a video. I can't remember what part of the world it was. Somewhere, maybe it was India or Bangladesh or something like that. Somewhere where Christians, they showed kind of a, Maybe it was a lot of video, but it was a video of Christians being flogged. So it was pretty unsettling. And just like in the book of Acts, the disciples were flogged a few chapters ago. They're flogged because they follow Jesus, and this is what this video was. And then it, toward the end of the conference, I thought this was kind of interesting. At first it was like, oh, this is weird. But then I, they showed the same video as we're watching these Christians getting flogged. And then on the other screen, they had the words to, God is so good, God is so good. So we sang that while we're watching this. And it was kind of this complete kind of disequilibrium imbalance. Comes like, wait, if God's good, why is this happening? But somehow we have to believe both those can happen at the same time. And maybe it... An, it expands our understanding of God's love for us. Maybe it expands our understanding of God's, he cares about us, he knows your pain. Maybe it expands our understanding of the fact that the world we live in is not yet the world, restored yet to the world God wants it to. And there is evil, there is the evil one. So we have to wrestle with all that and avoid uh, pat answers. But, but at the same time, God's good. Jesus cares about you. So, uh, you know, I, I thought about this. Of course, I was thinking something about Aaron and Sadie and Knox, and all of us, have, you, some of you have your own stories of pain and suffering, and I'm sure some of us have gone through times we've asked those hard questions, but God is good. Jesus cares about you. And like Paul prayed in Ephesians, so we'll close how we started. He wants you to understand how wide and high and deep the love of Christ is for you, and he wants you to experience that. And he wants you and me to be complete and full with life and power that comes from God. That's his desire for us. So let's pray. So Jesus, we, uh, I don't know, I just had the thought it would be interesting if, if sometime in heaven we can ask James what was going through his head, and maybe he would respond now in a way that would be so life-giving to us and so encouraging to us. But we can't see that, but we want to see that. We want to see, God, that you are uh, so big and powerful, but we also want to know that you care about us deeply. And we do believe, we do want to pray. We want to pray for things to change. We want to pray for the end of suffering, whether it's our lives, loved one, or just general suffering in the world. We want to pray for that. And we do believe our prayers have some 
impact on you. Somehow you change because of our prayers. Otherwise, you wouldn't tell us to pray. You wouldn't tell us to pray without ceasing. But, Lord God, we also know that it's, uh, we're left sometimes with just question marks. But the very simple statement we often repeat at Exodus, but we trust you. We don't trust you blindly. We trust you with honesty. But we also know that you said you'll fill us with joy. And some of those things just don't fit in our heads, but they fit in your personality, God. So would you lead us in that way so we understand you more and we experience the love of Christ more? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, we'll uh, take communion here in a second. But we're going to do what we've done the last couple weeks. So stand up. We're going to uh, read the Apostles' Creed together. Actually, we'll read that first. Go back to the first part. So uh, out loud, here we go. Two statements. We trust Jesus. We trust the Bible. All right, now we go to the Apostles' Creed, kind of out, filling in what we believe to be true about reality. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go and have a seat. And then the next one, we always, I find a different passage of Scripture that kind of are prayers of confession. And again, like I've said before, confession is not a way for God to stick your nose in it. It's a way to set us free. So let's read this out loud. Here we go. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. So Jesus, we ask we know your promises if we confess sins, you're faithful to forgive. And that you, you said even when you went to the cross, the night before you were betrayed, you told the disciples, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, we proclaim, forgiveness is available to all. And we believe that to be true. That we are not, the, we are not defined by the sum, summation of our sins. We aren't defined by mistakes, sins, things we do that, that violate you. We are defined by the fact that because of the cross, we are accepted daughters and sons of yours who live fully as heirs and fullness of what you have to offer us. So we love that, and we're grateful for that. So Jesus, as we take this bread and this cup into our bodies, Jesus says to us, remember that we, would you... Would you help us to remember um, that forgiveness is ours? And that um, even in the midst of our questions, that we trust you. Disciples, I'm sure, had questions the night even Jesus was betrayed and arrested and crucified. But even in the midst of questions and suffering, we can see you in more and more uh, grand ways. So we love you, Jesus. And we take this with gratitude. And we ask this on your name. Amen.